0: Hey, I'm AJ. I'm uh, one of the pastors here at Grace, and I'm going to preach fast. Um, It is uh, Holy Week tomorrow. Yeah, let's shout, shout out for God. It's Holy Week. Talked on Sunday about some of the mile markers of the week. Uh, tomorrow night is Monday, Thursday. So I thought tonight I'd start just with a word on the Last Supper. Uh, Mo- Mo- Monday, Thursday is the day we celebrate and remember the Last Supper. The Last Supper is the, uh, is the last time Jesus had all of his disciples together in one place. Uh, and he had a chance to impart some final wisdom to them. And I wonder if you've ever thought about what your final words would be. If you had dying words, what would you say? Have you ever thought about that? Think about it right now. Tell your neighbor the first thing that comes to your mind. Dying words. You have one moment to make a final impression on your friends and family. What do you do? I looked up some last words I thought were interesting. Maybe you say something poetic and powerful. Emily Dickinson said her dying words were, I must go in for the fog is rising. which just, my goodness, sounds like a poet. Maybe you say something profound. Bob Marley allegedly, his last words were, money can't buy life. Okay, that's profound. Maybe you say something sentimental. The Italian painter Raphael's last words were simply, happy. That's nice to think about. He's in a good place. I know Pastor Stephen is a big Winston Churchill fan. Do you, do you know his final words before he slipped into his coma? I'm bored with it all. It sounds like Churchill just I'm bored with all of this. I'm out of here. Um I like this one Richard Mellon who was a multimillionaire president of the company Alcoa he had a 70 year game of tag with his little brother and on his deathbed he called his brother over one last time and whispered in his ear last tag. <laughs> his brother was it for 4 years after that. How you can't get that off of you. <laughs> I think most of us, I don't know what you said to your neighbor. I don't know what you've welled up inside of you, but I thought about this question. I think for most of us, the highest good and the greatest goal we can set are our dying breaths is to express our love for those who are closest to us. What else is more important? Tips, tricks, advice? What is that? In that moment, there's one thing that matters more than anything, and it's to communicate your love and affection for those closest to you. As you can imagine, this is what Jesus does in his final moments at the Last Supper with his disciples, takes off his outer garment, he grabs a water basin and a towel, and he begins to wash each of their feet. To some who resisted, said, no, 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 no. But he said, no, no, I must, I must, that you might be clean. He washes them, and then he says to them, do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If then your Lord and teacher has washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should also do just as I have done to you. In his final moments, what does Jesus communicate? His love through an example of service. His final message, when well, at least with them all gathered. There's many other words Jesus speaks from this moment on. But the last moment is are together at this meal as Jesus and the 12. He says, none of you are better than any of the others. All of you can humbly serve one another. All of you can honor others above yourselves. And as I have done it, so ought you to do it as well. That message is true for us today. So tonight, what I want to do is I want to try to, I'm going to give you a very practical and very applicable answer. Uh, so tonight is all about what you can do. It's application tonight. Um, how do you love like Jesus loved? How do you fulfill the example Christ sets at the Last Supper? And I'm going to use actually a different passage of scripture than uh, you might think to do this. Um, I'm going to use a passage out of the book of First Timothy. First Timothy chapter 4. You can turn there with me if you want. Um, on theme with tonight, the title of the message is Gifted. Somebody say, I'm gifted. I believe you are. First Timothy 4, 14 through 16. Paul writes to his young disciple, Timothy. Do not neglect the gift you have, which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Practice these things. Immerse yourself in them, so that all may see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by so doing you will save both yourself and your hearers. Let's pray. Father God, be among us tonight. Holy Spirit, empower uh, me for the moment of ministry and us to hear what you are saying to us. Help me to be clear, to be simple and to do what you have called us to do in this moment. We pray in Jesus' name. You say amen. amen. So I believe with my whole heart that God made you on purpose. Somebody say, I have purpose. And I believe with my whole heart that God made you for a reason. So somebody say, I have a reason for living. So I believe God made you on purpose And for a reason, and I believe he fully equipped you to fulfill that purpose and achieve that reason over the course of your life. Somebody say, my God doesn't make mistakes. Yeah, I believe he doesn't. I believe there is purpose, identity, worth, and calling in each and every one of you in this room tonight and all of you watching online as well. I believe you are intentionally gifted by the creator to fulfill his kingdom purposes on the earth. And I believe the gifts God has given us are an extension of his love to us that the world might receive and feel the love of our creator. There's three ways that we can uncover this truth in our life. The first is this, to step into your gifting, to uncover that, to walk in the fullness of your potential that God has laid out for you. And in so doing, serve one another and love one another the way that Christ has called us to. The first thing I think you got to do is pursue your God-given passions. Pursue your God-given passions. I believe that in your wiring, in your DNA, in your soul, within you, God has wired passions, desires, giftings, ca- things that get you up in the morning, causes that you care deeply about, things you love to do with your life that just come naturally to you. You don't know how to explain it or talk about it. It's just, it's just there. I believe there's a a desire in our hearts that God has placed for a reason. And our response is to pursue it. Because when we pursue our God-given passion, and let me say this, our God-given passion, that's intentional. A God-given passion. This is going to take some discipline from some of us. A God-given passion. I'm defining that as a burden God has placed on your heart that you're willing to give yourself to sacrificially. Not my passions, which are things that might further my causes or increase my, whatever you want to call it, follower count, repertoire, brand, etc., career, finance. But things that God has burdened you with. When we pursue our God-given passions, we find ourselves in a place to uncover the gifts that God has given us. When we're swimming in the lane we're supposed to be in, that's where God meets us and opens up doors. Um, Jesus had a God-given passion. I think Jesus's God-given passion was people, first and foremost. I mean, he loved to do, I said, I've come to do the will and the work of the Father. He says, I've come, uh, don't think I've not come to judge the world. But I think above all that, when you look at the ministry of Jesus, above all that, he cared about people. How many times do we see in scripture, Jesus stop what he's doing because someone has come up to him to share their story with him. And it's, the Bible says what? He was filled with compassion. Why? Because there's a sick, hurting person in front of him. Jesus' passion was people. When he pursued his passion, he found space to use his gifts. Whenever he was there with people that he had compassion for, there was also an opportunity to deploy that which God had put him on earth to do. So much as Jesus pursues, also must we pursue. And I believe we all have a gift. I just think some of us need help finding it. Um, And here's the thing about gifts. Uh, Gifts can be hard to find because your gift doesn't feel like a gift to you. Say it again. Your gift doesn't feel like a gift to you. I had a marketing professor in college. I went to business school, uh, got a minor in leadership studies, and uh, I think she was a marketing professor she was a very quirky lady. I loved her, very like um, this is who I am, and just like very out there, forward, funny, but also kind of kind of quirky. Uh, I love people like that they 're they're, they're amazing to me. They have a confidence I aspire to, um, but she told us in this class. Anytime you're going to ask a question or answer a question, you are going to stand up in your seat and you are going to address the class as such. Now, I know some of you are going, oh, I would, that's easy. I would never ask or answer a question. <laughs> some of you introverts, just that's your motto anyways. You just, yeah. But she said, I, anytime you're addressing the class, asking a question, answering a question, you're going to stand up in your seat because in business and leadership, you have to present and you have to public speak. And I want each and every one of you to get very comfortable with that feeling that comes in your stomach when you get anxious about addressing a large group of people. I want all of you to be familiar in this place here where it's safe with getting used to how it feels, overcoming the fear, overcoming the anxiety so that you can present to a group of people. And I remember sitting there going, what feeling? What anxiety? What is she talking about? People get nervous to public speak. I didn't know because a gift doesn't feel like a gift to you. I'm not saying I'm like gifted. I'm just saying God has graced me for something like this. Jerry Seinfeld has a great joke. He says the number one fear in all people is public speaking. The number two fear is dying, which means at a funeral, more people would rather be in the casket than given the eulogy. I give the eulogy, I'm cool with that. I didn't realize that all of us have a gift. Sometimes it's hard to find because your gift doesn't feel like a gift to you. Paul tells Timothy, do not neglect the gift you have, which was given to you by prophecy when the council of elders laid hands on you. There's a sense in here that that gift within Timothy was either called out, imparted in, in a moment of community and fellowship surrounded by believers who either called it out of him or imparted it to him. And so there's gifts that you have that you might not see, but somebody else sees it in you. And all I'm trying to encourage you tonight is take their word for it, not yours. You are far more capable than you think you are. You can do more than you think you can. Even tonight before I preached, I was like, tell us, tell me this message is going to be good, man. I got some doubts about it. I'm not sure it's going to be good. And he told me it's going to be great. You're going to preach the paint off the walls. I said, yes, I am. All right, that's what I needed. That's what I needed, man. Thank you. All of us, I'm saying, don't take your word for it. You will be harder on yourself than anybody else. Listen to the people in your life that say, I see something in you. There's a gift in there. There's a leader in there. There's a, there's a, you have a grace of hospitality and of encouragement. Man, you, you are, you are diligent. You give yourself to everything. You have the gift of service. There's a mercy gift on your life. The way you care about people and love them. I can only aspire to that. And when people say that to you, most people go like, oh, no, I don't. No, I just, because that's what comes naturally. A gift is hard to spot because your gift doesn't feel like a gift to you. If you can't find it, listen to those who call it out of you. And for others of us who have been around for a while, serving in the church or many churches, there's a sense that some of us need to remember the gift that we used to have and we used to employ and we used to do. You know, back then when there was time or before we got, had kids, you know, what the old church it was. And then we kind of let life happen and we let the gifts of God kind of go back shelf. And we have to remember, we have to look back over the course of our life and go, where have I seen fruit produced through me by God? What is the grace God has put on my life? What are the things that, that get me excited? Where are the places where I don't mind doing it? It's a joy for me to serve. I've got people running cameras here all the time. And they love it. And I thank them for it. You don't ever see them. You see only if they do a bad job. You never see if they do a good job. How many of you know it's a tough spot to be in? Some of you feel like that at work right now. They only talk to me when I do a bad job. They never see me do good. We've got whole racks of people you never see. And they serve On Sunday, on Wednesday, on Good Friday, and again on Easter. Somebody just give a hand for them, maybe, and just thank them in this moment. If we pursue our God-given passions, you'll either find your gift or you'll remember the one you used to have. We've we've got to pursue our passions. I'm going to jump ahead a little bit. Um, When we pursue our passions, when we find our gift or remember that thing that we used to do, then, number two, we move into our next thing. Begin to practice that gift because all of us know that practice makes perfect. no <laughs> set you up. Practice makes progress. I don't know this whole idea about practice makes perfect. I've been practicing my jump shot my whole life. It ain't nowhere near perfect. But practice makes, practice makes progress. So as we employ our gift, as we put our hands to the work of the ministry, as we find places to serve those and love those as Christ has called us to, we see progress produced in our lives. For those who have been given much, much will be required. So how do we make progress? First, we need to cultivate our gift. Paul says, immerse yourself in these things to see progress. Give yourself over to it. Make a commitment to use it. Not a feel-good message about, yes, you've got a gift, and God has purpose and, and things in your life, and, and yes, you can, and yes, you are. That's only so good until we act on the things God has called us to. You can tell somebody they're a church planner their whole life, but until they get up and go, it doesn't matter what they are inside until they begin to pull what's inside out. We have our sister church down in Harrisonburg called uh, Divine Unity Community. And whenever they read the word, they have everybody stand up because Pastor Chris Johnson always says, in our house, we know participation is better than observation. It's true of your gifts too. We can talk about them, we can look at them, or we can participate. We can participate with them. One of my favorite quotes by Craig Rochelle, he says, the pastor in Oklahoma, he says, successful people do consistently what other people do occasionally. And put that in your journal. Jesus went from place to place sharing his message, finding people. He didn't wait for an opportunity to come to him. He was always on the move. I can't think of, now here, now I said, you know, I've got a gift of public speaking, but none of y'all have preached in front of your, your pastors, your elders, and all of your peer pastors in one room within 10 feet of you. So I'll say it like this. I couldn't find in scripture, but I don't know my whole word like some of you do, a time where Jesus declined to help somebody. I can't think of one. If you got it, just tell me afterwards, save it. I don't want to hear it now because it ruins my point. You can text me. The closest I could get was when he didn't go to Mary and Martha right away, but he did go eventually. I can't think of a time where Jesus declined an opportunity to help somebody who came to him in need. I think every time he was presented with an opportunity to serve, he did. Why? Because that was his passion. That was his purpose. And every act of service was a display of love. And he took every opportunity he had to communicate to the people around him the Father's love for them. We have to practice our gift, cultivate it, work at it. And to, in order to cultivate our gift, we've got to find our space. We've got to find a place for our gift. And let me just tell you this. There is a space for you and your gift in this house. Whatever your gift is, there is a place for you. Now, the problem is, some of you say, I don't want that place. I want another place. And that's a different sermon. Tell us we'll do that one. I don't have time to do that one tonight. But there is a place for you. If you have a love for God and a love for people. Proverbs 18 16 says, a man's gift makes room for him and brings him before the great the gifts God has wired within you, sown into your DNA, these passions, these callings, these things that come naturally to you, that's not there by accident. There's a reason. And if there's a reason, then there's, then there's a place that God has set aside for you. Um, I uh, will tell a story I really debated not telling because it's one of the more embarrassing stories in my life, but um, we're all family here tonight, right? You all deal with me kindly? Yep. I tried out for the worship team once. <laughs> Yeah, I tried out for the worship team once. In my defense, I didn't know I was trying out for the worship team at the time. Um, my brother, Jason, who uh, played in the band here, he was a drummer for many years. He's uh, moved on to plant the church in LA. Um, but he was a drummer here for a long time. And probably, literally, probably about 10 years ago, uh, he texted me one day and he was just out of the blue. Hey, do you still play the guitar? Um, now, the, tr- <laughs> the truth is... <laughs> I did not still play the guitar. I did play the guitar. I knew how to play the guitar. Was I a guitar player? I was not. Does a little brother ever show signs of weakness to an older brother? No, he does not. Yeah, I still play the guitar. Of course I do. Great. Can you come to rehearsal tonight? I'm sending you a song with the chord chart. That's when the heat rose. I said, I got this. I can learn this. I can pick it up. It's like riding a bicycle. You don't need practice in music. You can just pick it up. I looked at this core chart. Man, there were letters and numbers I'd never seen on that thing before. You guys, I spent the rest of the workday Googling. My hands were in no shape for this. And I showed up. I mean, this was not like, you know, this was 10 years ago, AJ, man. So I, did, I don't, you know, I was a different, I showed this guitar. I'm just like the most nervous, awkward. I walk in, you got the whole worship team just doing their thing. You know, they're all friends. They play together all the time, singing, laughing, cutting up. I'm just petrified, just petrified. My brother's on the drums. Hey, man, what's, let's get my guitar out. My hands are shaking, right? Do I plug it? I plug it. Okay, I'll plug it in. Can I plug Oh, sorry, sorry. Okay, I'll wait a second. Okay, okay. Man, if my thank God for my brother who just played drums the whole time while I banged away on this thing, and we just made it a drum expose. I'm saying it was so bad we didn't even have a conversation afterwards. We all knew, we all knew, nobody had to tell me anything. We just knew, and I just got. And it was a night you actually came. I'm remembering you came to give a devotional. He's like talking to the worship team. I'm, like, I'm not on the worship team. I don't. <laughs> Let's just say it wasn't my space. It wasn't the place God had set aside for me. And I tried to manufacture it and it wasn't it. What was my place in that time? You know what I had a passion for and a heart for and a love for was youth ministry. Cause that's what, where my life was changed. So my wife and I began serving in what was called 180 at the time. Now it's called lift. You know, we had a passion for was discipling young men and young women in small groups. And walking with the youth of tomorrow, the youth of today, who are the leaders of tomorrow. And we saw fruit and life and relationships form in that space that we carry to this day. One of them is, about, is, our, is our new lead pastor. And I get to do ministry with him for the rest of my life. Thank God I didn't play on the worship team, you guys. Thank God a man's gift will make room for him. And if there's not room for you, don't blame man. Talk to God about it. (laughs) Oh, find your place. And number three, watch your progress. Uh, um, Look for the fruit that results from using your gift. Let that progress encourage you and motivate you. Our job is to plant into into water. First Corinthians 3.6, Paul writes, I planted, Apollos watered, but who gave the growth? And it says, we are God's fellow workers. So... If you're not seeing fruit, just two thoughts. One, fruit takes a long time to grow. Do not grow weary in doing good, for in due season you will reap a harvest. There is a sense that sometimes some fruit takes a long time to grow. And this is why we don't do these things in isolation. We do them in community. Because sometimes you can't see the fruit that's producing. Just like you can't see your gift because it doesn't look like anything to you. You ever seen your hair grow? No, but one day you look in the mirror like, I need to get this fixed. When you're doing the work of ministry or, the, or, the, or pursuing the gifts of, of passions God has placed in your heart, the things he's gifted for you for, whether that's in career or otherwise, you may not see the progress. That's why you don't do it alone. You have other people help you. And you do not grow weary in doing good. Secondly, if you're not seeing the fruit, you might be planted in the wrong garden. And likewise, that's also why we do these things in community and with others. Am I just bad at this, Pastor Tiff? You know you're bad at it. (laughs) That conversation didn't happen. It didn't need to, but it would have if it needed to happen. She would have told me, you're not cut out for the worship team, but have you thought about joining our AV team? We would love to find a place for you. We would love to find a place for you. And if you're not producing fruit, maybe you're planted in the wrong garden. Ask those around you and be open to what God might tell you through them. If you're in the right spot, because it's your God-given passion, it's from God, there's a gift and a grace on your life to participate in what he's put before you. You're finding opportunities to uh, put that into practice and to see growth and to see fruit produced. Um, Then the last thing we need to do is persist with patience. Persist with patience. And I'm adding a, and expectation. Paul writes, persist in this, for by, for by so doing, you will save both yourself and your hearers. A few weeks ago, one of the amazing encouragers in my life, who I know is here tonight because I've already heard her voice a couple times, shout me down. Thank you, Miss Pat. Um, she grabbed me after a service. And uh, she's like, you're like a sister to me. I could say you're like a mother to me, but you're way too cool to be mama. You're, you're my sister. You're my sister in Christ. And she knew, I must have had a look on my face. I was just tired. I don't know what, what it was, but there was something. And she grabbed me and said, you doing all right? Say, I'm good, I'm good. Kids okay. Yeah, kids are sick, but we're tired, but it's okay. She said, look, I'm going to tell you something. Somebody told me 20 years ago. She said, it is not he who finishes first who is successful, but he who runs with endurance. That changed my whole life. That changed my whole life. It is not he who finishes first who is successful, but he who runs the race with endurance. A part of the Christian walk is perseverance, and it's definitely faithfulness. Pastor Brett, well I'm so glad you're here. I'm using you a lot tonight. All of this, overnight success? That one time you got in the news and they gave you 40 million dollars? No. Long hard labor. Years, 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 years. Persistence, patience, faithfulness. It is not he who gets there first that is successful. It is those who run the race with endurance. The act. This. Yeah. I gotta. I gotta gotta go. One act of foot washing did not finally communicate to the disciples, oh, Jesus loves us. I now know that. He washed my feet. One act of foot washing was significant because it was the penultimate moment of a life lived of loving people. Discipleship, ministry, career, parenting, relationships, just loving people is a marathon it's not a sprint. You don't get away with one moment and call it success. You don't get away with four season and call it a success. There are things God has called us to give our lives over to. And we don't say that poetically. We say that because it might take the rest of your life till death do us part. It's not he who has the best marriage that is successful today. It is he who runs with endurance and finishes a race well run. All right, let's wrap this up. There are things that only you can do and nobody else can do. Nobody else on the face of the earth can do but you. God put that purpose. He put that gift. He put that calling deep inside of you and he did it for a reason. Not to do it one time but to do it over the course of a lifetime for a purpose to persist in this, to persevere in it, to strain forward for the upward call of Christ, believing what Paul wrote to the church in Philippi, that he who began a good work in you surely will see it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Listen, the gifts of God are irrevocable. You can't return them. You can't exchange them. There's a no return policy on the gifts of God. So you might as well use the one you've been given. Okay? Look at the greatest gift God has given you, the gift of your salvation. That's called a complete gift. It's a complete gift because you did nothing to earn it. It was entirely dependent on God. You had no part in it, and yet it was given to you. All you could do is receive it. It's a complete it's a complete gift the reason we pursue God with what he's wired in our DNA the reason we give ourselves over to him the reason we we passionately chase after the calling that he's put on our lives is not to approve ourselves before him Jesus did that on the cross it is in response to the gift of salvation that we have received that because you have blessed me my life is now a blessing And God, I do it out of worship and adoration and joy, not out of obligation, not to perform for you, not to prove myself to you, but because you have been good to me, you have, you have, you have saved me. Somebody jumped in front of a bullet for you. If somebody pushed your child out of the way of a car that was coming on. Somebody died for you. You would live your whole life in obligation to them. Not because there's a law that says you have to. Not because that's just the way things go. But because they have given you the greatest gift anybody could ever give you. A second chance hope for your future. That's an irrevocable gift that has been given to each and every one of us. We carry that gift of salvation. We take the good gifts that God has given us and in response to the work of Christ on the cross, we go, God, I'm gonna pursue the passions you've wired in me. I'm gonna work at this and figure this out And I'm going to listen to those who tell me where I'm wrong and where I'm right. And I'm going to persist and persevere day in and day out, believing you have purpose for my life. You have a reason for making me. I am not here by accident. And you will see the goodness of God here in the land of the living. So church for us this week, as we fast, as we pray, as we seek God in new measure, don't neglect what he's put within you. Don't forsake or forget or gloss over the gift of salvation. We're taking a whole weekend here just to remember the price that was paid and our just response. He laid his life down for us that we might lay our lives down for him. I believe in you and I see greatness in you. Because I see the hand of God at work in each and every one of you. And I know the God who gives gifts is a God who gives good gifts. Good gifts for a purpose. So I pray for you. That those gifts would be identified, drawn out, and put to work for the good of the kingdom. That fruit might be produced here on this earth and in our lives. God bless everyone here. That they might see a greater revelation and a greater understanding even as we're fasting, not to miss you, Jesus, that our hearts would burn within us for you. As we encounter you, that we would not gloss over your death for us, your resurrection and the free gift of salvation, that we would stay on that and that alone. And you would see in response lives that are wholly turned over to you. You give us gifts for two reasons, for the glory of God and for the good of man. Let all here experience the joy that comes from walking in the fullness of the purpose you have set out for them, we pray. In Jesus' name.